Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. We're going to talk today about why you don't have to be hopeless. This subject matter is of great importance. There's a lot going on in the world, and, and there always is and always will be. Things that will bring about depressing thoughts, things that will bring about anxiety. doesn't matter what continent you live on. doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter what government you are under. We live in a world full of wickedness. First John 5, 19, the whole world lieth in wickedness. So it's expected. We're going to see things round about us that would bring about anxiety. Well, I want to talk today about hope. And it's interesting that I planned this subject matter because uh, yesterday I got an email from, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce the city right, but Accra, Ghana. And it's from a woman named Lydia. And she talked about how she recently heard the news of a teenager in her community who attempted suicide. And she's concerned that this young lady had believed the devil's lies and didn't realize what God intended for her. And she asked me, what do you think the reasons teens consider suicide? And, and the email went on. I thought it was interesting that I had planned to talk about this because mental health issues are a global issue and they tend to make the news quite frequently. I would think, and I want you to think about this question for a moment. And as I read that email, uh, considering using it in this podcast to some degree, I thought to myself, I wonder what age group or what ages of people in the United States in particular, uh, because that's where I live, wonder how many people commit suicide. What, what percentages uh, in the age groups? Well, we live in a country here in the U.S. that likes to put everything into statistics. So I pulled up the cdc.gov uh, website and was looking at suicide statistics. They have 2021 documented. They say in 2021, this is according to the CDC, American government website. I don't know how accurate this information is. Our government tends to get everything wrong. But they say that 48,183 people died by suicide in the United States in 2021. They give a bunch of other statistics like what racial and ethnic groups were the highest among those groups. And according to the CDC, it's American Indian and Alaska Native people that are on the highest uh, of the scale of suicide. And then right after that are what they call non-Hispanic white, and then they go on to non-Hispanic Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders, then non-Hispanic multiracial, then non-Hispanic black, then Hispanic, then non-Hispanic Asian. I don't know where the, they get these numbers. I don't know how they calculate them. I don't know how exactly they know who committed suicide in cases and who didn't. But that is their statistics on that. And in addition to that, according to the CDC, they say that the suicide, suicide rate among males in 2021 was four times higher than that among females. So I was kind of interesting as I continued to look through these statistics and thinking about the email that I got, you know, a lot of people, because what makes our news, and 
if you don't realize this, you really do need to realize this. Media, and it doesn't matter what media outlet you're choosing to consume news from, newspapers, uh, television channels, whatever it is, they have political agendas. So the information they decide to report on tends to be what will exalt their political agendas. So with that in mind, one of the trends we tend to see in American media is the highlight of young people who die and the highlight of young people who commit suicide. And they really put it out there so that you would think that the highest rate of suicide would be among people in their teens and early adult years. Well, according to the CDC, the highest rate of people that commit suicide, and if this is accurate, I find this to be surprising and enlightening. The highest rate is among 85-plus-year-olds. So that tells you that people, if this statistic is accurate, again, I keep saying if this statistic is accurate, that as people get older and are nearing natural death, they're so hopeless that they're taking their own lives. Second to the 85 plus is the 75 to 84 year olds. Third is my age group, the 45 uh, no, I'm sorry, let me correct that. Third is the 25 to 34, then the 45 to 54, and, and down it goes. When you look at these statistics, the lowest is 10 to 14-year-olds, and then the 15 to 24-year-olds is only at a rate of 15.2 per 100,000, which is terrible. We, we'd want to see all these numbers be zero, all the way down the board, right? But the fact that 85-year-olds... Uh, or 75 to 84 year olds, the fact that 65 to 74 year olds, that 55 to 64 year olds, that down the list, these age groups are committing suicide more than the 15 to 24 age groups, according to CDC, is not what the media has me thinking. And apparently, it's not just in America, but tends to be the thought of people in other countries, like the email that I received as she went on to write about her curiosity about why young people are killing themselves. So this fits into our topic. I don't normally spend however many minutes, six minutes on statistics, but I, I found that to be interesting. I want to get into the Bible because this is Words of Truth from the Scriptures uh, podcast. What I do know from communicating with people that are in this world is that hope is rare. People feel despair more frequently than anything else from my personal conversations with individuals. Take that for, for what you may. So our subject today comes about not because of these statistics, but a couple of weeks ago we were having our Bible class here in El Paso, and we're studying through 1 John, and we were in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, and I thought, you know, the world really does need to have some hope. And 1 John 3, 1 through 3 tells us that hope is a motivator. The text is written to Christians, so if you're not a Christian, think about what you're missing here. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, 
because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The motivator to live a pure life comes from hope. Salvation is rooted in hope. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, it says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what did he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Hope is towards being saved. That is hope in what is to come. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works." looking for that blessed hope. What is that? At the appearing of Christ when he returns. This is Christians have something to look forward to. If you're in the world, if you're outside of Christ, you're not in his kingdom, Colossians 1, 12 and 13. You're not in the light, 1 John 1, 1 through 7. You don't have this hope. So what you do is you get up every day and you go to work, and you go through whatever it is, your daily routine, uh, whatever that may uh, come about, or if you don't work, you spend your day doing whatever it is that you do, and then at some point in the day, you have either to ignore or to acknowledge the question of, what is all this for? What am I doing here? What's going on? What am I living for? Everything you're working for, you're watching it change. You're watching things happen to it. You, you maybe, maybe you have that quote-unquote American dream. You want a good job. You want home ownership. You want property. You want these, thing, these things. So you get it. Let's say you work real hard for it. Whatever means you've chosen that, whatever path you've chosen to work real hard for it. And you get it. And then what? You, you were hoping for physical success. You arrived at it and found out it, it's not satisfying. So what a lot of people do is they keep changing the goalpost and they keep setting some kind of goal for themselves. But every time you reach that carnal, physical, worldly goalpost, you realize more and more how hopeless life is in this world. Whatever trophy case you have, whatever possessions you have, whatever bank account you have, it's all so very temporary. And you know it's going to perish or transfer ownership at some point. Like Solomon in 12 chapters, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And basically the whole book is life sucks. There's the whole duty of man to fear God and keep his commandments. Outside of that, there's no point because everything's going to be brought into judgment. But everything you possess is eventually going to belong to somebody else or is going to perish. 
you work today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, what? To go and do it again and again and again, and it's repetitive. You have no hope. And so people reach a point in life where, you know, I was thinking about that age group, those age groups, they reach a point in life where they maybe they've retired and they've had this goalpost where I'm going to work, I'm going to succeed, I'm going to retire. And then they reach that point. And then what? Sometimes people die of quote unquote natural causes because they've reached retirement age and, and their life just falls apart. They were working for something. They had a goal. They had something to look forward to, something they were pressing for. And then when they arrived at it, it's empty. I, all the success in the world is just empty. Think about people who've wanted to be president of the United States or Super Bowl champions or NBA champions. Look at, once they accomplish that, how unsatisfied they are in that accomplishment. Why I wanted to do this podcast is that once people feel lost and they don't see hope, it just increases ungodliness. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 11 and 12, it says, Now therefore go to, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. You see where they got? There is no hope. There's no point. We're going to do what we want to do. That's what happens in the world. People realize the world doesn't have anything for you that's lasting, so they increase into more ungodliness. Look at the world we live in today. My brother in Christ sent me uh, on Sunday night a video because we had a little discussion in our Sunday Bible class. We were looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. We were talking about thieves, and we were talking about what's going on in the present world. And he sent me a video that out in San Francisco, they've got chains around... Uh, frozen food in grocery store because people are stealing everything. That's hopelessness. You see, if they had hope, they would live a pure life because they have something to look forward to, but they have no hope. So they're living a life of destruction and chaos. That's what Israel did. Israel lost hope. So they just got further away. When you back up in the book of Jeremiah to chapter 2, verses 21 through 28, God says to them, Yet I've planted thee a noble vine, Holy, a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine in me? For though thy, thou wash thee with nitre, and that thou take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith Lord God. How canst thou say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after Balaam. See thy way in the valley. Know what thou hast done. Thou art a swift dreamery, traversing in her ways, a wild ass used to the wilderness that snuffeth up the wind at her pleasure, and her occasion, who can turn her away? All that seek her will not weary themselves, and her mouth they shall find her. Withhold thy foot from being unshod, and thy throat from thirst. But thou saidest, There is no hope. No, for I have loved strangers, and after them will I go. As the thief is ashamed when he is found, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their princes, their, their priests, their prophets, saying to a stock, Thou art my father, and to a stone thou hast brought me forth. For they have turned their back unto me, and not their face. But in the time of their trouble they would say, Arise and save us. But we are thy gods that thou hast made thee. Let them arise. If they can save thee in the time of thy trouble, for according to the numbers of thy cities are thy gods, O Judah. So look at how far they went. 
And they turned to idolatry because they felt hopeless. In Jeremiah 2.31, God says, O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore say my people, we are lords, and we will come no more unto thee. They, they, they went so far that even when God pleads with them, they reject it. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, they say, If a man put away his wife, and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not the land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, say the Lord. Lift up thine eyes in the high places, and see where thou hast not been lying with. In the ways thou hast sat for them, as the Arabian in the wilderness, thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no later rain. And thou hadst a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. Will thou not from this time cry unto me? My father, thou art the God of my youth. Will he reserve his anger forever? Will he do it to the end? Behold, thou hast spoken and done evil things as thou couldst. The Lord said unto thee in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that what backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone upon every high mountain, upon every green tree, and there has played the harlot. And I said, She had done all these things. Turn thou unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And it goes on in the text to say, Judah didn't change. Now listen. Don't be like Israel. Don't be like Judah and say, There is no hope. I'm too bad. I can't turn. I can't change. So I'm just going to go and get worse. That's not why Jesus Christ came into this world. He didn't come into this world so that you could commit a mountain of sin and think that you can't come down from it. Jesus Christ came into this world to destroy sin, to put away sin. You know, you got these religious leaders out there telling you, you can't help it. You're going to sin. In fact, most of the preachers I've ever heard will teach you that. But listen, that's not why Jesus came into this world. In 1 John 3, 5, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. You can be pure, holy, righteous, perfect before the Lord our God. Don't be hopeless. The book of Lamentations is written during a time of Judah's uh, captivity where God had punished them for their sins. They had to spend 70 years, a generation passed, uh, in Babylonian captivity. So Lamentations 3, 24 through 26, The Lord is my portion, say my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. To the soul that seeketh him, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. There's your hope. No matter how far you've gone, into the world of sin, God is light. And he can bring you out of that. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He can bring you out of that. And you don't have to live in despair. And you don't have to feel hopeless. You can live in a manner in which you can look forward to a true and real goal in eternal life in heaven. You don't have to sit back and try to find the answers at the bottom of a bottle of alcohol or in a bag full of drugs. You don't have to go out and commit more and more iniquity as to compound sin upon sin because you feel like you might as well because there's nothing ever good going to come to you. The Lord God Almighty has a plan for you 
and it's called salvation in Christ. It's offered to the whole world. I mean, everybody knows John 3.16, right? I want you you to think about some sad words in the Bible. Hey, these are really sad. Job, and, and as I think about this subject matter, Job comes to mind because Job was a perfect man. When you read the first two chapters of the book of Job, Satan comes before God and presents himself and presents a challenge that, you know, hey, basically he wanted to, he didn't think that Job would be as upright as he was had God not given him such a quote-unquote blessed life, so to speak, as the world might look at it, just to put this in terms everybody can grasp. So God allowed Satan to set his hand against him in physical things, in the taking away of property, family, and even his physical health. And in Job chapters 1 and 2, Job stands against everything that he lost. But then, when you get to Job chapter 3, his friends are with him, and he begins to sin against God with his mouth. And his friends don't help. They compound the hopelessness by blaming Job for everything that he'd gone through. Job didn't do anything to deserve it. You know, people think bad things happen to people because you've done something bad. You know, this term karma, that's not a true principle. Luke 13, 1 through 5, Jesus answers that. You can go and read that sometime for yourself. Time and chance happens to all people, Ecclesiastes 9, 11. Just think about this. The most righteous man to ever walk the face of the earth, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, had a life of hardship and persecution and suffering and challenges. He didn't deserve that, right? The righteous Jesus Christ didn't deserve that. So that should debunk it for you. But, but back to Job. When you're studying about Job and you get to chapter 7, verse 6, but I'm going to back up and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through, through 11. Verse 6 is, is really what I'm getting at, but I want to give you some of the context. So Job is talking... He says, is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, and as a hiring looketh for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed to me. When I lay down, I say, when shall I rise? And the night be gone, and I am full of tossings to and fro under the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. That's sad. He continues, Oh, remember that my life is wind. My eyes shall see no more good. The eye of him that has seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me and I am not. As the cloud is consumed and vanished away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Therefore I will not refrain my mouth, I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. What got Job in trouble is he lost hope. He lost hope. That's so sad. That's so terrible. Look, you don't have to lose hope. I want to read to you a text written to Christians. 1 Peter chapter 1. The return of Christ for Christians. So if you're not a Christian, 
Here's where hope is found, okay? The return of Christ, salvation that comes with the return of Christ is the hope that Christians live for. So I'm just going to start in 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. I'm going to read down through verse 13. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the full knowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten unto us a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that faith is not the way reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom, and whom thou now you see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvations the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which is in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and it goes on with the motivational point, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And the text goes on. That's the hope. Even though these Christians were facing persecution, that persecution is not going to move them. Why? Because they have hope. Looking forward to what is to come when Jesus Christ returns. It's important for you to realize that the hope of salvation, and, and so often when people are preaching about Jesus Christ, they focus mo mostly on his death. But our hope, it certainly includes the fact that he died. You know, his blood was shed for the remission of sins, Matthew 26, 28. Christians are washed by his blood, Revelation 1, 5. All that's true. But hope isn't in his death. Hope is in the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's addressing this, verses 12 through 24, though I suggest you read the whole chapter. It says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith also vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. 
if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterward they that are Christ's coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God and the Father, and shall put down all rule and authority and power. Looking forward to the end. And, and that's where all of, all of the things that we've talked about come together, where the faithful Christian is motivated to be pure, to be obedient, by hope, looking forward to the end, because in the end, your obedience is rewarded. In John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in which all in the grave shall hear his voice, shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. If you're out there doing evil, you have damnation to look forward to. There's not hope in that. But if you're living righteously and godly in this present evil world, hope abounds. Whatever it is that you face, there is always the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Darkness never fully surrounds the faithful child of God. And I'm going to give you an example of, of that here in just a few moments as we go through this podcast, where, where you're going to see how the Apostle Paul, even though darkness was trying to cave him in, he still had hope and what that looks like in the scriptures and what it looks like today when you meet faithful Christians. Hey, you know, I've had a lot of experiences with people at the end of their lives. And I want to talk about two different individuals. And, and I mean, I could talk about many, but two come to my mind right away. And both of them are people that I worked with here in El Paso. One was a woman who was rather cantankerous and worked with her and worked with her and worked with her and tried to get her in a right relationship with God. But frankly, she just wasn't really interested in working towards that end. Excuse me, I'm grabbing a tissue real quick. The other woman... If you couldn't hear me, I got, got a little distant there. The other woman was just always at peace. And many of her family members are still members of the congregation here in El Paso. And, I mean, sometimes she could be a, a bear to deal with. She had a strong personality. Uh, and I'm not meaning that in a sinful manner, as far as I know. But <laughs> the one lady always griping and complaining. The other lady, going through severe medical issues for many years in her life towards the end, smile on her face, worried about other people. The one woman I visited while she was on her quote-unquote deathbed, and she was in tears. She was scared. What's going to happen to me? I wish I would have. Based upon her own words, she was so unbelievably unprepared for what was going to happen with the draw of her last breath. And I'll never forget the fear that that woman had. On the other hand, 
faithful sister in Christ that had prepared her life to meet the Lord. When she's on her deathbed, she's looking at a young brother in the congregation, lecturing him. And I hope he'll always remember her words, lecturing him about staying faithful. And she's smiling, and she was talking to me. Starting to tear up a little bit here, so miss this sister. The other sister, not so much. Feel sorry for her. But this faithful sister, she was at peace. And not a false peace. Some people at the end of their lives are at a false peace. No, she had full assurance. She was ready to go on. She was ready to be in paradise. If you don't know about paradise, go read Luke 16, 19 through 31. Two individuals there, Lazarus and a rich man. Let's just say you do not want to be in the position the rich man was. We have something to look forward to when we're faithful. This understanding is very much part of identifying salvation in Christ. And John 6, which actually next Tuesday podcast, I'm planning on coming back to John 6 and talking about some verses that are misunderstood in this context. But John 6, 39 and 40 says, This is the Father's will which has sent me, that all of which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. And this is will him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The hope is about being raised up in the last day. John eleven twenty five context talking about uh, Lazarus and, and he died, and Jesus physically raises him from the dead in this context. And here he's talking to Lazarus' sister, says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And Jesus says the resurrection and life, but that's looking forward. And what that hope and that looking forward does, like my faithful sister in Christ, is it anchored her. It kept her faithful. In Hebrews chapter 6, the context, as you know, you come to the end of Hebrews chapter 4, and then chapter 5 and chapter 6 and, and into chapter 7, just recognizing the greater priesthood of Christ over that of the Levitical priesthood and all that it entailed and how the Christians that this letter was written to, they weren't ready to hear the meat because they were still milk users and not because they didn't have the time to grow, but because they didn't grow. A lot is packed into this context. And Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20 says, from when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater. He swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he attained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Did you hear that? Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entered in within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus who made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we get to look at Jesus and we get to see that God kept his word, kept his promises, brought Christ in this world. Christ is in the position that God promised he would be. So our hope is based on evidence. And when you have that kind of hope as an anchor of the soul, 
You're unmovable. And Psalm 62, 5 and 6, before Christ even comes into the, the picture and full revelation, the psalmist says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. If the psalmist can say that before they fully realize what, who Christ was and what he was bringing, how much the greater should a Christian be able to say that today? In Hebrews 3.14, it's of great importance because we are made partakers of Christ if, there's a conditional phrase there, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. It's not good just to be an obedient believer initially, but the continuation of. Hope does that for you. It anchors you. And for a Christian, that puts you in a position that the world is not and cannot be in. People of the world do not have a real hope. When they look at death, it's an end, not a beginning. When a Christian looks at death, it is not the end. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which we sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the will of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, or with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So to the Christians there, don't be sad like people who have no hope. Because death does not mean people will not be with the Lord. I mentioned earlier that I would give you some insight into this mentality by looking at the Apostle Paul. So I'm going to draw your attention to a little bit of a lengthier reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8 through chapter 5 and verse 10. And I want you to hear what Paul says. And, and, and you could keep reading beyond this because he goes on to talk about the, the other side of that motivation, that the judgment day also brings the terror of the Lord. That's just not the subject matter that we're covering. I want you to see how Paul's getting through everything he's facing in the flesh so that when you're going through the most terrible times, as a Christian, you can be of this mentality if that hope is truly the anchor of your soul. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, beginning, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. A whole lot different than Job 7 and verse 6, right? He says, persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. A whole lot different than Jeremiah 18, 11, and 12. And Jeremiah 2, 21 through 28 that we read earlier, right? In verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Always in bearing about in the body the, 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 the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up also 
by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that which we be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, also given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that, whether present or absent, we be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he had done, whether it be good or bad. Look at Paul. Though the outward man perish, they weren't dying spiritually. Though the tabernacle, that physical body might end, they know they had an eternal home in heaven, a different body to look forward to for all eternity. Not fear, not desperation in the sense that we have no hope, but hope that kept them going. Hope in their salvation. Hope in their contributing to the salvation of others. No matter what they were doing, the Apostle Paul and those that faithfully labored with him, imprisonments, beatings, Believing him where they thought he was dead. He kept going on. Kept on keeping on. And he had confidence. He believed and therefore spoke. He didn't say, I hope, in the sense the way some people use hope, like maybe there's a chance. And he didn't say, I believe, like some people do with the word believe. Like somebody will say, I believe that the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl this year. And what they really mean by that is, I hope on an outside chance that we get a better quarterback and all kinds of things come into play. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. Uh, but, you know, I want them to win a Super Bowl as a fan, but I don't hope or believe in that because I have no confidence in it. None at all. Paul, on the other hand, you and I, if we're faithful Christians ought to be able to say, I hope. And that not being that there's an outside chance something might happen, but fully confident that you'll be with the Lord for all eternity. That keeps you going. Gives you joy. When we were reading in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 through 14, about hope and the resurrection of Christ, they were going through tribulation. They were going through persecution. But, they had joy. How is that? Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. 
The rejoicing is because they have hope. They're not hopeless. So what do you do? Whether you're in Christ or outside of Christ, if you're outside of Christ, we need to have Bible study. You need to get a hold of me. We need to have Bible study. But the beginning point is going to be the same for anybody that's hopeless. If you're feeling hopeless, it's time to go to the book. It's time to open up the Word of God. It's time to learn about Jesus. It's time to learn about God the Father. It's time to use the Word of God for what it's intended. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 49, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. In verse 81 of Psalm 119, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. In Psalm 130 and verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait in his word. Do I hope? In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, I know I'm getting on a roll here and going there. I know my wife is sitting here hitting the pause button as she listens. And those others that like to take notes, Brandon, I'm sorry. Others who have told me that you like to take notes, I'm getting going a little bit fast. Try to, I try to slow it down a little bit uh, here recently, but these verses, they just, they're just great, right? Romans 15, 4, whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We have hope in the word of God. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, we have hope in the gospel. Paul said to the saints in Colossae, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Christians and those interested in being Christians, when you open up the word of God, you have something that nobody else in this world has. Hope. You don't have to be hopeless. And you can trust in God's word. The psalmist in Psalm 56, 4 says, In God will I, pr I praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh shall do unto me. You can believe it because God said it. It's fact. He has history that proves he keeps his word. But listen, don't just open the Bible and study it or read it just to be a student. You have to put it into practice. In the book of James, in the first chapter, he's, he's writing to Christians that have been scattered because of persecution, Jewish Christians at that early first century book written in the time period of Acts 8 through Acts 11, says, of his own will, James 1, 18, says, of his own will begot us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, because these are early Christians, okay? He says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and brineth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I, I've done a podcast on uh, the fatherless and, and the widows. Uh, you ought to go back and read, or not read that. Uh, I'm used to writing so much that, that I said read that, but go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it yet. Well, if you continue reading the book of James, 
uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 is dealing with a problem that they had where they were respecters of persons. And then after dealing with that problem, James comes right back to this same point about being doers. And he says in verses 14 through 26, What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say, He hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you saying that depart in peace and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give not those things which are needful of the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yeah, man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest how thou faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he is called the friend of God. Ye then, ye see then, how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only? Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? When she received the messengers and sent them out another way, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Don't just be a hearer. Don't just be a Bible student. Don't just read the book. You know how many people I've met that said, I've read the Bible this many times. What are you doing with it? It's a useless document if you're not going to live by it. Jesus said to live by it in Luke 4, 4. Don't just read it. Don't just study it. Don't just look, say, look at the knowledge I have obtained. Live it. Oh, it's a wonderful book of hope if you're living it. Because then you look at death and you look at the judgment day as a day of glorious reward rather than a day of doom and gloom. You don't try to forget about death. You know, people don't, people don't think about death. I grew up around, around illnesses. I grew up around death. I saw a crime. I saw the end of lives. I went to funerals when I was young. You know, a lot of people nowadays, they might live to be so old and have never seen a dead body. Death is not a reality to them. When people watched what was going on during COVID, it was almost like some people lived in denial. And again... Whatever comes about, I'm not, I'm not one of the people that's going to tell you that, you know, everything you saw on TV was a COVID death. I, I, I joked around back then. Everybody that knows me, I didn't buy into it then. I don't buy into it now. Uh, I used to joke around. Somebody got in a car wreck. What'd they die of? COVID. <laughs> so somebody, somebody walked off of a cliff. What'd they die of? COVID. Uh, I still think that so many of those deaths will likely uh, or were likely more likely than not, uh, were other causes. And that, of course, they, they, who, who can believe the government's numbers? Like I was saying with the CDC numbers that I, I gave you earlier in this podcast, who knows what really is going on in this world and what agenda people are pushing by giving out that information. But there were times where the media showed pictures, especially I remember here locally, of... Uh, freezers that were parked outside of hospitals and corpses were put in there because people were dying and the morgue was backed up and all kinds of other things were going on. At that point in time, people didn't want to see it. They were afraid. But that wore off. Think about how quickly that wore off. 
And people all of a sudden just forgot, hey, death is real. I don't want to think about it. For a Christian, you don't have to ignore death. You look forward to it. Or you can continue to walk around hopelessly. You could be like Job. You know, another passage in Job, in Job chapter 6, verse 11, Job says, what is my strength that I should hope? What is my end that I should prolong my life? Those are suicidal words, aren't they? Don't be like Job in his state of hopelessness. God made a promise, and you can count on it. And Titus, Paul writes to Titus in Titus 1, 1 through 3, he says, Paul, servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. God promised eternal life. That's your hope. Get your life in line with the word of God so that you can have that true hope in eternity. So that whatever happens in this world, you'll not be shaken. You'll not be moved. Remember, hope in Christ is an anchor for the soul. I hope this podcast has been one to make you think. And if you're feeling hopeless, that you'll do something about it. Why don't you call me? My phone number is 915-525-5794. Hope is not in me. Hope is in Christ. But I will show you through the scriptures how to obtain and continue in a state of hope. Just like this podcast and others, if you've listened in times past, the Word of God is going to be the standard of our discussion. It's not going to be my beliefs, and your hope is not in me. I am merely a man, and the Bible tells you not to trust in man, Psalm 118 and verse 8. We'll put our trust and hope in God. He's the rock. We've read that. We've talked about that in this podcast. You can email me at brian at wordsoftruth.net, and that's B-R-I-A-N at wordsoftruth.net, or you can visit the website, www.wordsoftruth.net. But listen, it'd just be better if we talk to each other. If you email me, maybe you're, you're in a, another country, uh, maybe time is an issue or, or you don't have uh, the means by contact, but, but if you're listening to this podcast, you have internet access. So we can talk via the internet through applications like Skype. Um, I've talked to people all over the world through Skype. We can talk. We can visit the scriptures. We can see what God would have you do. And then we can work on figuring out a way for you to be among like people of like precious faith. Even if, if you, you know, you got to do some hard work to get things going, I'll help you as much as I can from wherever you are. If you're in the El Paso area uh, out here in Texas, or you're in New Mexico or Arizona or Colorado, uh, we're not that far away. Uh, I'm closer to people in all those states than most of other people in Texas. I'm way out here on the western edge and on the border of Mexico. I'd love to help you. Reach, reach out to me. Maybe we can meet in person. Maybe we can figure out a way to sit down and open Bibles and spend some time looking at each other in the face. I'd much more prefer that. But don't go on to be hopeless. You can have hope, and you can start that course today. Thank you for listening. I hope you tune back in if all goes according to plan on Sunday and listen to what we'll talk about then. Thank you.